When it's not Netflix movie night, it's game night. And Marvel Dice Throne is a fast and fun board game for all ages. Each player selects one of eight heroes to face off in a head-to-head battle to see who earns the right to take the throne. Gameplay involves strategically rolling dice to activate special abilities, playing unique hero cards to manipulate results, and upgrading your hero board to power up your stats. This is currently being crowdfunded on Kickstarter and will have Kickstarter exclusives. Go there now to reserve your copy. Hello and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. All right, what a show we have in store for you all today. This is the final week of October, so we will be wrapping up our Netflix and Chills coverage with my review of Hypnotic, starring Kate Siegel, Jason O'Mara, and Dulé Hill. And then I'll bring on Shane Beauregard of Media Mosh for two more reviews, one for the vampire crime drama Night Teeth and the other for the Spanish thriller Fever Dream. But before we get to all that, I wanted to do a quick award season check-in because the Gotham Awards have released their nominations as well as their special tributes for the night itself and multiple Netflix films did quite well. Uh, Rebecca Hall's Passing and Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter movies that we've mentioned many times on this show, receive five nominations apiece to lead all films, including Best Feature. It's a pretty impressive feat considering that both of these films are from first-time directors, so congratulations all around for them. I'm very excited, as I should be seeing Passing this week, as it is playing in a couple theaters near me for a few days, so check out your local theaters, as you may be surprised that a Netflix film landed on the big screen in your area. So check those out. But let's get back to the Gossams, because there's more, if you can imagine, uh, as we also see a director's tribute for Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, which could be the start of a long campaign for her, as she has a good chance of being nominated at several award shows on her way to Oscar Sunday. The Gothams also chose The Harder They Fall as their ensemble tribute for the show. This, of course, is the stylish Netflix Western, co-produced by Jay-Z with an amazing collection of some of my favorite actors going right now, like Jonathan Majors, Lakeith Stanfield, Idris Elba, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, and Zazie Beetz. So congrats to all of them. I have seen this film as it was in theaters this past weekend. Uh, So we will do our full review for that one next week. Uh, And it comes out on Netflix on November 3rd. So one week from today, that will be on the platform. And that's when our review will come out. So it'll be a nice timing for us to kind of get into a little bit of an award spirit between that passing coming up. It's all good news. Um, But that wraps the nominations for the Netflix films at the Gotham Awards. A great start for those films in the early part of award season. I know that the Gothams kind of have a narrow scope in terms of the rules for for entry into their awards uh, consideration. So I don't 
quite know what could potentially be snubbed here, but I did kind of want to I mention uh, that an alarm did go off for me that if it did qualify, I wonder how Tick Tick Boom did not get a single nomination here. It's premiere at the AFI Film Festival is coming up in a couple weeks with its Netflix debut soon thereafter. So it may have not been ready for submission or something, but that definitely seemed like a film that would be a perfect fit for a New York-centric audience of critics. Uh, I mean, it's a theater adaptation about a famous playwright trying to make his mark in New York City, and it didn't get nominated. (laughs) I mean, that really it really makes me wonder what happened there. Uh, But otherwise, like I said, good news all around, and great news that we will start to see all of these films start to trickle in into either theaters near you or on Netflix very, very soon. And hopefully we end 2021 on a very strong note. That sound means it's time for the first Netflix and Chills review for this episode, and it comes in the form of the new thriller released today, Hypnotic, starring Kate Siegel, Jason O'Mara, and Dulé Hill. If you listened to our preview of this film, you know that while Kate Siegel is becoming known as kind of a scream queen with her roles in her husband Mike Flanagan's projects over the years, the real reason I was psyched to watch this one, though, is Burton Guster himself, Dulé Hill. Psych and The West Wing are two of my all-time favorite shows, and I will support Dulé Hill in anything he does until the end of time. You know that's right. But let's discuss the movie. It's a story about Kate Siegel's character, Jen, who is a young woman seeking help after a horrible loss and a relationship that fell apart. Uh, She enlists renowned hypnotherapist Dr. Colin Mead, played by Jason O'Mara. And after a handful of intense sessions, Jen discovers unexpected and deadly consequences. I'm sure you're wondering, Andrew, how can he bring back in Dulé Hill? Well, after Jen makes these troublesome discoveries, she reaches out to the detective who handled the cases tied to her current issues, enter Dulé Hill as Detective Wade Rollins. Now, here's the non-spoiler bottom line for this film, all right? I'm not going to waste your time on this one. I'm going to cut right to the chase. It was a movie that I was convinced was going to be movie of the week hot garbage. I did. I really thought that. But here's the good part. I was kind of into it. Is it a solid recommendation for me? No, not really. But it is definitely watchable, and someone who is into these type of thrillers might be pleasantly surprised with how good it actually can be most of the time. It's a pretty thin plot with a mostly obvious villain, but basically the film kind of winks at that thought the whole time. And there's even a scene in this movie where there's an attempt on the life of Detective Rollins. And to be honest, it's kind of hilarious to watch. So whether these things were intentionally amusing or not, is kind of up for debate, but it made the movie uh, a little more enjoyable for me, so I'm not going to hate on that. But one thing my snarky brain definitely was hating on from time to time was something we all saw in the trailer, and it's kind of a big thing in this movie, and that is how the victims get quote-unquote activated uh, from words that a caller says over the phone. 
Now, that's something we've all seen in Russian spy films for decades now. Kind of tropey, right? Uh, but the thing that bothered me wasn't that it was very tropey. It was every time it happened, the person was picking up a call on their cell phone from an unknown caller with no number listed. I don't know if this script was written before the era of the repeated calls about your car's extended warranty, but there is zero chance, absolutely no chance, I'm picking up any phone calls that are unlisted. That call is going straight to voicemail, and I'll check it when I get a chance. So to me, I guess I would never get caught in the dangerous situations that these characters find themselves in. And quite frankly, maybe I should give this movie another half star just for giving me another reason to never answer my phone. So what's my grade on this one now that I'm talking grades? I'd give it an optimistic two and a half out of five. It's not going to wow you, but it kept my attention for the full 90 minutes. The actors got the assignment and ran with it. It's way better than Matt Angel and Suzanne Coote's last Netflix film, The Open House. And it beats out some of the more aggravating thrillers that Netflix has provided this time of year. Yes, I'm talking about you, Intrusion. How dare you waste my time? But, as always, I want to know your opinions as well. If you check this one out this week, definitely hit us up on the socials, at NomCastPod, or drop me a line on the website. Anyway, we'll do it. It would be awesome to hear some more opinions on this one. And I'd also like your opinions on the next two films we're about to cover, Night Teeth and Fever Dream, because after this break, we will bring you my conversation and my thoughts with Shane Beauregard of Media Mosh about those films and basically the Netflix and Chills 2021 slate as a whole now that it is mostly behind us. So stick around and listen to that right after this break. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Kraken One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Kraken One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together, we host the Pint O' Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. All right, Shane Beauregard of Media Mosh is back with us again for what is the unofficial last stop of the next Netflix and Chills 2021 tour. How are you, sir? Good to have you back. I am doing well. I appreciate you having me back. It just felt like I was in here last week. Like, I love it. I love it. I know. I gave you a week off, buddy. Enjoy it. That was your vacation. Now you're back in the saddle again, uh, putting you to work. That's how we do. 
I just wish you'd give me better content to watch, buddy. I, I'm really thinking. I'm really thinking you really don't like me this time. I gave you a pass the last time, but now I'm like, he does not like me. <laughs> you volunteered for these, motherfucker. You are riding with me on this journey, and, and that's kind of what I kind of wrote here. It's like, all right, we might have, <laughs> we still have one technically out there. That's why I said unofficial in terms of last stop. Um, cause we might have something to say at some point about nobody sleeps in the woods tonight too, just because it's been this running joke. It comes out on Wednesday. We're recording this on a Monday night, the 25th, but that will have to be assessed on another day because we have two more movies to cover, uh, that have already been released. And then what I was thinking is that we would probably put a grade on how well Netflix did this Halloween horror season in total before we wrap this one up and the fact that you're already holding your head down is a great sign so let's get right to it shane and start with the first movie that we're going to cover night teeth uh which was released this past wednesday uh it's a vampire crime drama of sorts with a big cast of notable names that people will be familiar with uh that was kind of the appeal that when we kind of previewed this it was kind of the thing that we pointed to to be like all right Maybe if all these people are on board and they perform up to snuff, then maybe we have something here because uh, you have people like uh, Megan Fox, uh, you know, who obviously is turned into kind of sort of a person who loves doing these horror movies like Jennifer's Body. She said that's her favorite thing. Uh, Sydney Sweeney from The White Lotus and Euphoria and Sharp Objects. Um, she was just in The Voyeurs for Amazon Prime. Uh, Alexander Ludwig who is in Operation Christmas Drop for Netflix, uh, but is, of course, known for Vikings. But those three characters are all very small roles in this movie. So this movie's more held by the lead here, Jorge Lendeberg Jr., uh, who plays Benny. He has the best agent I've ever seen in my life, Shane. Uh, have you seen him before? I The first time I saw him was in Bumblebee. Right. So he went from doing an indie movie like Brisby Bear to then going straight into the largest scale IP stuff or working with the biggest directors. Because he went, you know, Bumblebee, he's in both Spider-Man movies, he's in Alita Battle Angel, and he just got started. So it's insane that he just kind of comes out of nowhere at a very young age to just drive right in and have all these roles. And now he's a lead in a Netflix movie. Uh, so... It's an amazing first step, and I, I do like him in this for whatever we say about the movie afterwards. I think he does have a bright future, regardless of where we go with the outcome of the film. Uh, Debbie Ryan, who has done a couple projects for Netflix, Insatiable and Horse Girl, which we've covered on this uh, pod before. She kind of she comes in here. She's Blair, for everyone who doesn't know, uh, looking like a young Gina Davis kind of in there, which I did not did not dispute. I did not. I was fully on board with. Uh, that is right in my wheelhouse, so I'm okay with that. Um, Lucy Fry is kind of her tandem partner here. She plays Zoe. She was in Vampire Academy before, uh, so she's already got a taste of what this movie uh, could become. Uh, she also played Tika uh, in Netflix's Bright as well. Alfie Allen is kind of, and Raul Castillo were kind of the the two opposing figures here. Um, with the gang representative and the vampire representative uh, that clash uh, at the beginning of this movie and then come back as 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 foes again at the end. So Alfie Allen, of course, is known as Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. He was also in Jojo Rabbit and John Wick. 
So he's kind of the biggest star, I guess, as far as the ones who actually matter. And then Raul Castillo, you know, being in Army of the Dead and Wrath of Man uh, this past, you know, this year, you know, he's starting to really look like his career is taking off. So when we were presented all those, I had a lot of optimism, but we do also love our red flags. And I'm sure, Shane, you you know exactly from which I say, because we previewed it, first time writer in Brent Dillon. And then Adam Randall is the director here who he did iBoy and I See You, two movies that weren't really well received so without further ado sir how we feeling about a movie that pitches a college student moonlighting as a chauffeur who picks up two mysterious women for a night of party hopping across la but when he uncovers their bloodthirsty intentions and their dangerous shadowy underworld he must fight to stay alive shane how do you feel about night teeth you know surprisingly of all the movies we've covered this month this is probably my favorite and it's not a perfect movie, but right. to me, it was the most enjoyable movie I've seen as far as what Netflix has put out. I really love the cast in this movie and I thought they played really well off each other and with each other, especially the lead with Benny. Like I yeah. loved his character in this movie. I loved his character arc coming full circle. I have a unhealthy obsessive issue with Debbie Ryan who plays Blair, like you said. The, really? The, yeah. And I feel icky saying that because I'm a little <laughs> older, but my daughter watched her in that Disney Junior show called Jessie. Yeah. Yeah. And then she was insatiable. And that's yep. I'm like, oh my God, who is this? Right. And Lucy Fry playing her like counterpart, best friend, I, which again, uh, she's on an Australian show called Mako Mermaids, which my daughter watched. That's why I recognized her, which you can find on Netflix right now. Uh, yeah. So I love that dynamic. Uh, Alfie Allen, I wish he was in it more, but it's okay. Like he was true. He was fine. He was okay. It's Benny. Benny and, and Blair and Zoe's what it's just what made this movie for me it was funny. I like the pace of the movie. It reminded me, this could definitely be like a CW series, and that's not a knock. Like, that's not a True. knock, and I was all in. It was, I, I liked it a lot. I did. Okay. Yeah, well, I will say, uh, to to bolster that, the scores actually lend that to you. Because of, of the other films that we've covered, I think this might have some of the better scores, in certain areas at least. Um, the IMDb score is 5.7, which I know does not invoke confidence. However, when we were talking about how much the, the ones the last time you were on got slammed, but this one, you know, 5.7, the critics didn't really like it, a 35% tomato meter and a 44 Metacritic score. But the cr Metacritic score is literally based on nine scores. So right. it, it's not a lot. But Letterboxd, you know, 2.4? That's not far off from what I thought this movie was. Uh, and the audience score is 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a little low, I thought, for this movie, too. Um, I'm with you. I, I watched the film twice, um, but I wrote down nothing to say. <laughs> uh, at first, I really had to like go back and, and kind of think about it because I think that says a lot about the film because I I enjoyed it, so I wasn't really like watching notes because a lot of times if I watch uh, stuff and I write down notes, is either something was really really good or really really obnoxious and you know a lot of times i'll go back and do it later so if i didn't really write down something you're probably right down the middle like you didn't bother me but nothing 
stood out. And that's kind of where I landed with this. I thought nobody was particularly bad in their performances, though I found Megan Fox to be almost disinterested in being in this movie. Oh, totally was. She totally was. And it didn't help that Sydney Sweeney looked amazing and had better presence and delivery, like basically being the same role right next to her. So that didn't help. Um, uh, as we noted, I liked Jorge Lindeberg Jr. here as Benny because he's very likable. He has a steady presence that like kind of keeps the movie going. But I think because the plot is kind of thin and the push to the final conclusion is a bit muddled, what I kind of figured out was that it was you know, kind of that the movie gets lost when Benny gets lost, if that makes any sense. So like when he realizes what is going on, that, you know, his brother's in danger and that, you know, he has to make a decision between kind of aligning himself with with the Debbie Ryan character or with Blair or whether he's gonna, you know, try to save his brother or how he gets caught in between. You don't really get the whole confliction and instead they just get him high off angel dust and give a bunch of scenes that where he's just kind of standing on the sidelines and kind of just more about self-preservation more than like hatching a scheme to figure things out. So I think that's where the movie gets lost for me. And, and then the end, I don't know if I fully see that for Benny's character uh, because let's put it this way. He's, He's okay. Uh, again, we're spoiling all of these guys. So before I just literally just tell you the end of the movie, um, you know, be be aware. Um, but the final part here, he's okay with being a vampire and being tethered to a woman who plotted to take out his brother. Let's put that to the side. But it really doesn't jive with a guy who starts the movie. He's in college. He has musical ambitions. And then he's like, well, did you see her, though? She's pretty hot. Right. So, like, he just kind of, I don't know what Benny wanted, like, in a way. I knew he had high aspirations, but how does being a vampire kind of satiate that? And then even at the end, like, yeah, he kind of tries to save his brother and all that, but he kind of, he gets caught, and then he has to kind of go to the vampire thing again, and, and it helps him, and I understand it in that way that it's kind of a love story or whatever, like a coming together there, but... There is more than that going on, and his character, it does I don't I don't buy into that arc. I think it's a very convenient end and not a very thought out end. Does that make sense? No, it's perfect sense because um I, I wrote that in my notes. Like if, if he had the choice, he wouldn't have made the choice to be a vampire. Correct. <clears throat> in the direction that he was going throughout the movie, like you like all the points you just stated, given the choice, he wouldn't have chosen that, period. Right. And you're right. I just think that was a uh, written out of convenience more than it was story uh, character arc and that kind of stuff. Because, again, he had ambitions of being a DJ. He had all this music that he wouldn't let anyone used to listen to. Yeah. He, he had all these big ambitions with school. And and then it's like it just all just kind of fell by the wayside. So yeah. I just felt like it's a decision that he would have not made if it did, wasn't made for him. Right. So why is he so happy about it at the end and you don't see anything about the other ambitions that he had? Because he's with a hot girl in a hot car? I don't know. Yes. (laughs) Which, you know, I ain't hating it. I would probably, probably, I might change my whole uh, attitude and persona if I'm like, look at what I have. Weren't they rich? Didn't they, can't they rob people or take Victor's house or something? You know, whatever. I get it. You know, that's cool. But 
uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's not exactly what you draw up if you think of Benny's future at the beginning of the movie. And and to to further point that that you know they stop at his abuela's house where he's like living or whatever and go into his room and do this whole thing. But again, it's such a detour and, and it's nobody cares. It's so lifeless and, and they try to do that so they could show that the hookup is getting further developed. I just thought that was so boring. It was such a detour that I just was like, all right, you're wasting time. This is a movie that weirdly isn't that long, but again, could have gotten chopped by like probably 10, 15 minutes and still have been uh, the same movie. Right. I agree with you. That, that scene was probably the, I don't want to say worst scene, but it, it, it wasn't really needed as much time as they spent in that scene. You know what I mean? Like right. if you would have condensed that in half, it, I would have been fine with it. Like, Hey, you need a place to hide. We're off the grid. This is where we need yeah. to go. But yeah, it, it was too much. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that dance club scene where they kind of have to make the stop to take out that one guy's gang in the back there or whatever, that is one of those scenes where this could have been amazing, but again, because we don't know who this guy is, he's just another cog in their plan or whatever, just another stop on these things, and then Benny is drugged out of his mind, and uh, Raul Castillo's uh, Jay character, the half-brother here, is kind of like waiting in the wings, but they don't really cross. Like there's certain things that um, could have transpired there, but it got pretty weak, pretty fast. It, and it, the, and the only thing it's there for is so that Benny kind of sticks up for the vampire side. Right. I agree that, that I was looking forward to that scene. Cause a lot, like you said, that could have been a big action scene and it kind of was for a little bit, but it just fell flat. What yeah. I, you know, some of the mythos they changed in the whole vampire genre, which they didn't even discuss is like now you, <laughs> now you can take vampires out with guns like what <laughs> like, the, yeah they briefly mentioned that jay's gang knows exactly how to take them out and it's like okay well maybe when you were doing that whole big explanation dump in the beginning that you kind of could have mentioned that like that they had a truce because they needed it as just as much as the other ones so yeah i think they're they're I actually was fine with that. I thought this movie started out stronger than it ended. Right. And I was on with it because I think that was that was part of our 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 hesitancy when we were reading stuff in the preview where I was like, oh, we're getting gangland and it's vampires and it's like th-. so we were like, did they kick above their grade here? Did they they get too big and and try to world build too much for a movie that's an hour and 45 minutes? And I don't think they did. In fact, I think it could have used more of that, but less of some of these other scenes that seem to just meander. Right. I totally agree. Like I wanted to know more about the gangs and the other troop that came in with the, with the crossbows, you know, I thought that yeah. was a cool introduction. And you know, the, one of the ladies was talking to Jay. It was like, Hey, here's my card. I wanted more of that faction. In the yeah, movie. sure. And the other Which thing, again, that- you saying that it should be a show, all those things lend to that. And again, I never liked to champion that because I think you can tell this story in like an hour and 45 and still convey a lot of those things. But you're right. A lot of those things could have been picked up as like, here's an episode where we see this right. you know, infiltration group. come. It's through. like they glossed over, over all that for a love story, essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't quite pay off. Right. Yeah. And, but other, the thing that kind of nitpicked me was like, okay, and two girls in to take out five different factions of vampire. Like how are 
like that bothered me for some reason. Like you're going to send two girls in there to right. wipe out an entire house of vampires, you know, cause when you watch vampire movies, the older vampires are always the strongest ones. Yeah. So how are they going into these places and just annihilating everyone inside that facility? That's yeah. the other part they that n- kind of like bothered me a little bit. Yeah, well, it would have been nice is some kind of explanation of why those two are more badass than maybe others and why Victor chose them and that kind of stuff. So, again, that's where I was saying it's really thin. Right. Like, you you built up this kind of mythos, like you were saying, this backstory in the beginning, but you really didn't develop the individual groups. You just kind of played it as a crime drama with, like, using things like the element of surprise as their as their way in on these because nobody thinks that these groups were going to ha- take them out because that's not part of the way they're violating all these rules and things that they set out in the beginning. So those work, but once you try to like start peeling back the layers and being like, why did this happen? When you, th- if you think about this movie an extra second, it, it doesn't work as well as you think. Right. So go into this movie, not thinking too much. And I guess that's what I'm saying. Just enjoy the ride. Yeah, enjoy, the, much. enjoy the humor enjoy the characters it's a fun movie so overall yeah. i just like set that stuff aside i'm like you know what i had a good time yeah i had a good time and i like raul castillo in this role too like i liked him better than his army of dead uh, army of the dead character and i think he is really lining up he needs to be like a cop in something like he would make quite a like heavy cop you know kind of a detective character that would he could I don't want to say, I don't know if he'd be a lead, but he could take it. He's got a lot of presence. He reminds me of a uh, present day Essa Morales. Okay. Was he in anything else besides La Bamba? Oh, he was just in uh, Ozark. He played a drug kingpin in Ozark. Um, Yeah, see, I'll watch Ozark. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) No, that's, no, I'm sure it's maybe spot on, but I just don't know him. Uh, Yeah, I'll have to talk to you off here. He's been in a. (laughs) A ton of stuff, especially in the eighties. But anyway, okay, um, that's what he reminds me of. Yeah, no, I th- I think he definitely has a future. And I seeing that he's done a couple of Netflix things, I could see him entering into another world there. You know, I don't know where Narcos is heading or any of that stuff. Maybe he can uh, get into that world or something. But I like him. Uh, like I said, I didn't really hate anybody here. I didn't. I I know I sound like I hated on uh, Megan Fox, but you know, she's just she's there and she's not. She doesn't even seem like she, like she had one night of shooting her and Sydney Sweeney that whole scene and that's it. So yeah, maybe she kind of checked out, <laughs> took the took the check and run. I don't care, you know, right. it's fine. But you know, she is the the person who seems the most checked out. And on the flip side of that one is Alexander Ludwig just going straight full character. Like I got this, man. I'm gonna have. All this like bizarre, you know, accent work or or ticks or like jokes and whatever. And he's like, I got this like one scene, man. I'm going to fucking go nuts. Whether it works or not is debatable. But man, I didn't even know that was him to start. And I was like, I think this is the Alexander Ludwig one. And (laughs) it's just bizarre. Right. I I agree with you. Like, I didn't know that's him at first. Like, like really go back and look at that. I'm like, holy crap. Like it was great. It was great. Yeah, but overall, I, I I snuck a peek at your letterbox and I saw your grade on this one. I think we're right in there. Like it's like a two and a half or three. 
ish. So the the letterbox score I think is right there because uh, I think they gave it like a two point four. I said yeah. So yeah. it's a tad low. I'd probably tick it up a little bit more than that, but not by much. But I can watch it again. Like this is a movie if it came on Saturday yeah. afternoon and I'm sitting there like cleaning my bedroom or something like that, or I'll yeah, have it on, on the, the background. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very enjoyable. Yeah. So what's, and I guess we're tipping our hands, but what's sad is like if we're kind of saying like, yes, yeah, it's one of the better ones that Netflix had <laughs> out. And it's like, yeah, I think it's a middling grade. <laughs> you know, it's fine. <laughs> you know, that's our, our big high praise for the season. So, whoo, not going so well. What I will say about the next one, because we've had a lot of thoughts. We were talking a little bit off air. Fever Dream is a movie that came out back on the 13th. Before we get into the notes of how this movie transpired and everything else, the thing about this movie, and I think we kind of said it in the preview based on the information they gave us, it didn't seem like a movie that fit with everything else. And I was like, well, you know, it's a foreign film. Maybe I'm not getting what I need to from the trailers or from the descriptions. And maybe this movie has a little more bite than it seems. I think the biggest problem, because I only watch it the one time, is that I went in thinking it was going to be something different. And I think that's what maybe colored my opinion a little bit more. But I think there is more to my opinion than that. But I do want to be fair, starting straight out, that this movie, the description is this, guys. Uh, if you didn't watch our preview episode, it's a young woman named Amanda lying in pain while a young teenager named David urgently questions her, forcing her to unravel the truth of what happened to her. She is not his mother, and he is not her son. Together, they will reveal a disturbing and evocative tale of broken souls an invisible lurking terror and the fragile threads that bind parents and children. And when we read that, we were like, what? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, do you need to put in there that she is not his mother and he is not her son? You don't need that. Like, it could be a, a freaky child situation, which, you know, sort of what this movie is. But I, I, I it's definitely getting very polarizing reviews. I'll, I'll recap that before I get to you, Shane. But... I basically the critics like this movie a lot more than the audience did. And again, that could again be how this was pitched. You put it in the machine of Netflix and Netflix and chills. If you're watching it, you're like expecting something one way and not getting it. So uh, tomato meter was 69% Metacritic 75, which is very high um, letterbox 2.4. Uh, the audience score for Rotten Tomatoes is 43%, and IMDb is 5.2. So you're seeing kind of the more audience-accepted you know, submissions going down in scores, but the critics kind of kept it higher to where this is not rotten, and it's got a high Metacritic score. So where do you fall? Which side of the fence are you on, Shane? <laughs> I'm on the audience side on this one because oh. I, I acknowledge it, it was a uh, – it was a beautifully made film. Like I like the visuals. I like the flashbacks, I like the dream sequences. I like the way this film was shot a lot, but damn, at the end of the film, like what watch, like what? I don't understand what still happened to this day. Like I just watched it today. <laughs> so this is fresh in my mind. I watched it. I finished it at lunch. Right. And I have no idea what this movie was about. 
Like me too, by the way. I should have uh, had you on speakerphone. We could have been uh, doing <laughs> the pre-run for this because I like, watch it. Yeah, I'm real fresh in my mind, and yet, yeah. Here but like we are. zero. Like it had me intrigued. So I'm like, what is going on? But I kept waiting for it, waiting for it to turn. I'm like, okay, when is this going to turn? And it, at the end of the movie, I'm like, so was this an environmental film? Like, what is the message here? Like, what did I? Like, why is he dragging her through the woods? Like. And let's just spoil it. Like the end scene where is David in the car with that stuffed animal is like, am I supposed to believe that's either Amanda's half soul in him or Nina's half soul? Like what? Like I had no idea. Like if all these chemicals yeah. are being spread throughout this town, why isn't anyone doing anything about it? And all those kids, were they all mongoloids? Like were they? Is that- <laughs> yeah. The ones crossing the street at yeah. night there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Were those real mongoloids or is that what she was dreaming? Like, so that's what you don't know right see this is the thing about these type of movies right this is not the first type of thing and i will say i will be very open about myself i don't know if this makes me unartistic or a not a bro like but close to i don't know but it makes me cringe when it's like something that's considered closer to art or these like atmospheric movies but the story doesn't fully pay off and you get these people being like when in their reviews, they won't comment too much about the story. They'll kind of be like, oh, it touches on this and it's got this atmosphere and this uh, setting and, oh, it's beautiful and this. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But does your philosophy hold water is all about this. Because so this movie is co-written and directed by Claudia Yosa. We'll go we'll try it. that. Yeah. So, yeah. So co-written and directed by Claudia Yosa, uh, who did. Her first film was The Milk of Sorrow. And I told you a story off air where, uh, you know, that film, uh, The Milk of Sorrow refers to a child being born during times of fear and terrorism who don't have a soul because in their belief system, they believe it hides away during the time of birth because of all the fear and uncertainty and the terror outside in reality. So that's very high high thinking kind of this mystic kind of things that she seems to be into, which definitely echoes with this movie, but man, the execution on that or the, where the belief structure leads into plot is I think where I get tripped up with her. And, and, and that's not even the weirdest part of that movie. Cause it's known for a woman putting a potato in her <laughs> vagina to prevent uh, the kind of fear of rape and everything else in that environment. It's very sad, but when you read it on paper, you're just like, whoa, boy. Um, so, but she does. She makes these movies who combine her fears of motherhood with a certain level of mysticism, spirituality, and dread, and that kind of goes along here. Her last movie, Aloft, which had um, Jennifer Connelly and Killian Murphy and uh, Melanie Laurent is in that too. And it's about, you know, a struggling mother who becomes like a faith healer to a lot of people. And she encounters her son who she abandoned 20 years earlier after a horrible accident. And you can kind of see where just even that plot fits in with this kind of plot. You can see how it's kind of the same person. And this one, she co-wrote it with uh, the author of the novel that they based on, which was called uh, Rescue Distance, or at least that's the... You know, because it's a Spanish title, that's how the uh, the English translation goes. Um, and so you can't say, like, maybe they didn't uh, become, you know, kind of close to the novel because you have the person right there who would, you know, kind of refute some kind of changes, I would imagine. But 
the film being this kind of elusive style had me like because I'm like looking around, you know, trying to see when the thrills are going to come in, <laughs> you know, wh you know, because you start off with the explanation of the child and, and what happened to him, you know, being poisoned and then trying to extract the poison uh, by, you know, splitting the poison up between him and a healthy host to kind of have people survive uh, this kind of thing. And it kind of didn't have any true meaning behind it. It's just kind of like a plot device. And I understand that they're going to talk about things like, um, I know people got really into the whole, uh, you know, the parental, like the thread, you know, that, that again, the rescue distance, what they, what the name of the book was where it's, you know, she's always worried about, you know, something happening and you're trying to always keep your kids in this orbit essentially of like, if it gets too strained, you know, you start to freak out and you know how it affects you. And sure. A lot of those things are things that happen to parents and, and it's a reality, but I don't think it's enough for a movie. I don't think any of the kind of like concept stuff paid off. And then the mysticism stuff really doesn't pay off because I find it very, very convenient that the kid in the beginning you know, the person who actually still lives there, David, who becomes kind of this character that you can't trust and, and might have murderous intentions, potentially, but you don't really know. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But basically, his soul, like we mentioned, after he gets poisoned, they take him to kind of this witch doctor of sorts. Uh, and she splits, you know, does this procedure to where half the poison, you know, in his soul gets out and just kind of I thought she was going to put it into a healthy host right then and there. And then conveniently the other half goes into the child of the other person, the the family that shows up how many years later, Shane, like the kid was young, young, and now he's like a preteen or a teen. And like, yes. what are we talking? Five years go by more, Five, six years. Yeah. Eight, maybe. So these people who just happen to befriend these people, what? catch it in the air like what are we talking about here and and why is that even a big problem but it's it's very convenient i don't understand why are you punishing this person who doesn't need to be punished like so there's no moral compass in this movie uh so wh where did you fall with any of that i know you said said do you seem rather confused but i think i kind of got it but i still don't quite uh, oh I, get why it would be appealing i don't have this movie at all like it had a lot of themes running but nothing to connect all the themes together. It's like right. everything in this movie was so disjointed. And I'm like, I still don't know why he talked to her throughout the whole movie, made her stay on task point with every detail having to be perfect. Where's the payoff there? Like, yeah. why does she have to be so precise with all the details that she was telling when we didn't yeah. get to see the payoff or like what, what happened? Like what happened? Like, I, I, I don't uh, know. I, I, yeah. Again, I was so frustrated at this film because it di it does grab you because you're wondering like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's like what's going on? And you said this movie like you know has some like feminism theme, and I didn't see that at all. I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> like, what? I just saw. I wrote down en environmental question mark, mongoloid yes. mongoloid kids <laughs> question mark, which I should I don't know if I can say that now, but like maybe <laughs> the whole horse thing like the, the whole pollution in the, in the river like i mean yeah. in in water near where everyone's poisoned at like i just don't understand why he dragged her through the woods the entire movie 
and he's trying to keep her on track. I didn't get to see the payoff, and I don't care to guess the payoff. Like I, again, that's why I said at the end of the movie, did half her soul go into him, or was it Nina? Like I, I yeah. And if he has all the answers here, and or trying to get all these details and kind of refuting things and going back and forth. We never hear him talk in this whole movie, but no. then we only hear him in voiceover. Right. So, why why and, do I the, why, why do I rely on his perspective at all? Right. Because you don't care about him, and right. at the end of the movie, it leads you to believe that because the last scene is the guy, the father, finally coming back to town. A man, his husband, finally come back to town. They throw him out of the car, but he has that stuffed animal with him, and the look in his eyes, you're like, okay, he he has somebody's half soul in him right there. Yeah. But we don't know who's, you know what I mean? Like, right. You assume it's Nina because of the connection and kind of getting in the car immediately and, and, and feeling at home and at peace with Amanda or, or the thought of that family unit, excuse me. So the father and whatever, but that's all you got to go on. But again, who cares? Like uh, it's only punishing the father and the, and the woman who we followed this whole time is dead. You know, like, and again, the whole calling this fever dream instead of rescue distance also make you untrustworthy of a lot of it. Like that you don't know whether is David actually, you know, si like how sick is he? Did he just I, I read a, a, one of the reviews, I believe, of it on IndieWire where they were like, you know, you kind of don't even get whether uh, they're playing with the concept of just how your children change as they get older, you know, like that. It could have been, he doesn't have anybody's fucking soul in there. Like he, he's perfectly fine, but he just changed be and you don't accept that. So you have to create the story, but then you pay off that story by having it get into, you know, the other child at the end. So I, I, I didn't buy into what they're doing, but it sucks because for most of the movie, I felt very engrossed or that I was very much follow along because uh, the tone and the atmosphere of this movie compels you to do so because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was like, man, this is the slowest of slow burns. But then you go, well, it's kind of a slow burn that fizzles at the end. So right. why do I care? It, and that's why I don't understand why the critics are so high on it. Right, I, and why I cared is because the performance by the actress who plays Amanda. I was fully in that character. Sure, I, 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 I was invested in like her journey, what she's going with. Again, at the end, it just doesn't pay off. It doesn't pay off, and I'm like, it's like you said, like okay, it was beautifully shot. So maybe that's what they were thinking of. They were thinking of the cinematography. They were thinking of all these other aspects of this movie, the atmosphere, but they didn't consider the content of that damn atmosphere. Where yeah. I can care less and don't make my brain hurt after I watch a movie because I don't have to think about all these different metaphors and like the environmental stuff never paid off. Like that was the main point. That was the moment. If you realize Dave's like, where's the moment that the barrel falling into the grass really right. was that moment? Who cares? You know, this town does not need a doctor or a witch doctor. They need Aaron Brockovich. They need to fucking figure out why all these kids are getting poisoned and their horses are dying. That's a much bigger issue than is the soul of one child in another or halfway there. <laughs> There's just too much going on in this movie theme-wise that it did, like they never paid any of those different themes off at one time. It left everything so open-ended. 
and for you to sit there and scratch your head about and try to like we're doing just try yeah. to talk about like what the hell really happened here and at the end i don't care like i shouldn't and, care and this is why i hate movies where they're like they left it ambiguous in these ways for uh for reasons that you know you get to speculate on so it makes you ruminate on it and that's what makes this movie better than others or more compelling no, it doesn't. Because if at the end of all my ruminating, I go, none of this shit makes sense, or it doesn't pay off. Like even just basic questions, like what is David capable of? Right. I don't know. I don't know because uh, we talked about this off air. The one, the one part where they try to make him like, is this kid like a monster or a, or a deem like a omen child or whatever? Like the one part they do, like he's burying ducks, like dead ducks and you're like okay is he like snapping necks and going around like killing ducks for no reason and then you kind of go he he explains it at that moment over voiceover like there's a big difference between killing ducks and burying ducks and it's like yeah and so it's like okay so it points more to the environmental thing where it's like the ducks are dying okay but why so why why do we <laughs> care after that it's like okay so this kid is not a demon but the mother thinks he's a demon, but he shows no signs of actually being a demon outside of something they explain away right as it happens. So there's no tension. There's just, is this person going to die or not when these things kind of come about? That's the only tension. Other than that, I'm sitting here watching horses fuck and 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 and, and trying to get the most out of scenes where two beautiful women are having a lovely conversation. That's about it. Yeah. No, you summed it up. That's perfect. That's perfect. So, so I guess I probably land closer to the to the letterbox stuff. This is like a two or a two and a half because, uh, again, the craft is on display. It's a very well made movie, but when you really think about what I took away, there's not much to to go with. Well, I'll tell you what. You're more generous than I am. I gave this. I'm I'm gonna give it a one point five on letterbox. Hey, I, is, I can't fault you for it. I, I guess, uh, you know, I always some I I'm I'm forgiving in the nobody sets out to make a bad movie or that not a movie is like for everybody. But at the same time, I can't fault you for that, and I can't fault too many people who give it even just like middling or whatever. But I do kind of question people who are like, "Wow, what a what a presentation, what a film." It's like people who are really into certain bands. I I think don't uh, uh, deserve it either. I get into that where they're like, oh man, check out cool. Like where they don't play a lot of notes for like a seven minute song. And they're like, yeah, because they set this atmosphere. I'm like, cool. What, what do we, what do we get out of that? Uh, do you fall asleep to this? Is that your appeal? Like, cause that's what this movie is for me. It's the, it's the, somebody explains to you how this is high art and you go, I don't get it. And you feel stupid. You're made to feel stupid. But there's no real sense of urgency in here. There's no character uh, development in terms of certain elements that are supposed to create tension. I, I and again, I I say from the beginning, this was mischaracterized in the marketing sense of this film too. So it is not what you think it is, but it doesn't make it bad. But I guess you can also say I did enjoy the experience. Right. This is the absolute worst movie. Of all the Netflix and chills, I'll be honest with you. Like I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. There's someone inside your house, but at least there's parts of that where I was like, okay, I like the right. opening scene. I love that. 
at the end of this movie, I just I was upset. I was upset. I'm like, yeah, like you said, don't make me feel dumb. Like, I don't want to have to string together or go to Wikipedia to try to string together everything you're trying to work with in this movie. Right. And again, I'm not the smartest viewer. I'll admit that right now on your podcast. You know know what's crazy, though, too, Shane? We we I said we were gonna kind of save to the end to kind of give a grade uh, of kind of how this horror Halloween season kind of went, and of course yes we have that one excellent movie that we're not gonna talk about uh, just yet because it comes out on Wednesday. But uh, overall, I think this fits right in there where it's like every Wednesday come watch a movie that is kind of just gonna make you go that was that was fine, <laughs> you know like it's it's not gonna make you too mad. It's not going to make you too wowed. You just took an hour and a half and went, sure. Like, so, and, and that's, I feel bad that, like, we we gear up. We're doing all these reviews all, all Halloween, all October long. And I go back and I go, so were the best ones kind of in September? Like, maybe? Like, Nightbooks was more oh. kind of fun or whatever, I guess, maybe even than a lot of these films that they did. So, like you said, if Night Teeth. You know, I'd say most of No One Gets Out Alive was good, and then Nightbooks. But for the rest of it, I could I could have done without it. I feel the so, same way. I like I my favorite movie is Night Teeth of everything we've watched. Right? It has and a it, lot of style. I, I liked it. It's I watchable. Li- yes, and I liked No One Gets Out Alive. I thought that was a big swing. Uh, but all the rest, even I, I like Night. It's a good family horror movie or, you know, spooky movie you can watch with your kids. It, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of those three, oh, the rest were just. <laughs> Wasting my time. Yeah. So if I had to give a grade, I'd give it a, a C minus at best. Yeah, I was like, it's a C. It's a straight down the middle. Like we gave you content, but we didn't give you good content right and but, don't forget intruders or intrusion what was that movie Intrusion. oh yeah that movie sucked ass i forgot completely yeah. that is the worst that is way i i would watch fever dream uh just even for the <laughs> the two women who are gorgeous uh to to hang out with for an hour and a half more than watching intrusion because especially the end of that movie is cartoonishly bad oh it is it is but i think i'd rather sit back for an hour and a half and watch that again before i like melt my brain trying to watch fever dream again mm. like so overall man I, i'm i'm i am i love netflix i love you but i am disappointed <laughs> in this year's october offerings let's just say yeah. that because last year we had a bunch of ones that we weren't exactly high on someone straight up hated however if you go back and you go listen you gave me his house which is tremendous you right. gave me you gave us uh vampire versus the bronx um which was a lot of fun and a very cool kind of more all ages version of this stuff that alone beats anything that came out last year or this year, excuse me. Right. And even the one that came out after October with the, uh, the Korean film with the, uh, the call. Yeah. It came out in November, but yeah, still way better. Uh, One of my favorites. Those three alone. Yeah. Incredible. Great year floor with what we had this year. Yeah. And I think, a part of that, and and we have our own uh, differential on um, on Halloween Kills. But uh, what I will say, so far for the year, I I thought like this was going to be an excellent horror year, or at least it had the potential to be. In general, uh, you know, Fear Street, you know, is a is a good shining example for Netflix at least 
But the movie before that, Things Heard and Seen or Seen and Heard, whatever the order is on that, not a good movie. Very boring, very meandering, um, obnoxious at times, like totally didn't pay off, uh, confusing what they tried. So overall for their horror slate, unless something pops up, you know, like, like something maybe from overseas, like a South Korean film or something that uh, comes out later. I, I, I don't think I saw anything. Nothing comes to mind. But The Call, I missed completely anyway. I covered it, what, six months after it came out. Uh, so that's a whole other subject. But there might be something out there that I'll end up picking up or, or finding. But no. Nah. Right. I, I, I think if this is our horror slate, and, and to be honest, it kind of aligns to me with the rest of uh, the horror stuff out for the year. Like, I really like Quiet Place 2. Um, I thought Halloween Kills was bad. Watch your mouth. Uh, I know. I know. I'm just saying I did not like it. Um, you know, Fear Street worked for Netflix, but they had a bunch of lower end tier stuff, too. Um and Candyman was uh, a disappointing end for me, a movie that I rocked with. I thought it was so good in the beginning, and then I thought it didn't end well and it didn't pay off for what it tried to sell you um, with a lot of big ideas and, and a and a well-written beginning. But I, I don't know. I thought that fell apart. Antlers comes out at the end of this week. I'm probably going to try to see that this weekend. And, you know, there's a, I think, I don't know if we got any more horror stuff. Or did I miss something? I'm probably missing something. No, there's two that's coming out next week. It's Antlers, and there's another one coming out. And for the life of me, I can't remember it uh, as you just, I'm in the spotlight. But Antlers is one I'm, I'm going to go see Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, but well, th this weekend, I mean, if, if you count. From what it's characterized, Last Night in Soho might be considered horror, but it's kind of this, you know, more like a 60s thriller versus right. versus like being a straight horror. So that is, I guess, TBD. But I'm uh, I'm 100% seeing that this weekend. So. I, I really wish, uh, go back on Fear Street, I really wish Netflix would have like just rearranged some things and released Fear Street like part one the first week of October and the second week. And I wish they would release those in October. Totally. That's the best horror thing they've done all year. Yeah, and I wonder whether that was a panic move by them or maybe based on the age level they did it in the summer because they knew they had an opportunity with the other studios kind of pushing stuff back, you know? Um, right. But I will say that, you know, I agree with you. I think it would have been – I think it would have worked really well. But for any studio, and this is one of the things that I saw early on too and talked about with – you know, guys like the Mike, Mike and Oscar guys, October stacked. Like right. if everything worked and we're all seeing it, like you're basically seeing what bond Halloween kills and venom are all doing really well. I think venom was technically late September, but you get my point. Um, and then by the end of it, you're seeing uh, a Wes Anderson movie in the French dispatch. You're seeing antlers come out. You're seeing last night in Soho come out. And, and there were movies that got pushed back. Jackass 4 was supposed to be in, in October, got pushed back. Um, and then, I'm, I, at least for Netflix, too, we, next week, we're going to do a doubleheader. Uh, we're doing Army of Thieves, which comes out on Friday. And then um, The Harder They Fall comes out next Wednesday, but it's out in theaters. I was able to see this movie already. Uh, and so was Colby Mack, who's going to be on the show. So, you know, I would say seek that out, you know, because uh, it's, odd seeing a Netflix movie in the wild. I've always said that. And it's kind of cool to get that experience before you watch it on 
on at home as well. So definitely seek that out if you have it in your area. But and as I said to Shane, I will not apologize for my coastal elitism. The fact that oh. all the Netflix movie come to my area and not to you in the Carolinas. I will not apologize for that. I am grateful and I'm not going to slam that thought, but and, and we'll you see should, if they do it better. And you shouldn't have to apologize for that. But I also will say like, I, I, I like blood red sky. Yes. But again, uh, I guess if you want to put that on the pile, as far as like uh, you know the grade on Netflix horror for the year, a few a few decent highs and a, a, a lot of like stuff that was very forgettable. So you know again, kind of rolling with that C C plus if you're taking as a total, right? Because they they did really well in the summer, they they sucked in the in the in the spring and fall, right? So. Exactly right. They just need to time this out better next year, hopefully. Because I was. Thoroughly disappointed, and like you said, horror movies as a whole this year have stunk. Now, granted, I didn't go see Spiral with uh, Chris Rock. I did, but I got pan, and I'm not. I I didn't see the new Conjuring either. So Uh, that was the other one that did really well. And I didn't see uh, Don't Do, which came out this year. No, no, because once you start rooting for rapists, I'm out. Yeah, right. (laughs) So, like, you know, there's several movies I missed, but as a like, I like the Purge movie, the Forever Purge. Sure. But I'm a fan of that series. So, but overall, yeah. but overall, like you said, it's down, down year across the board. Yeah. So I'm hoping Antlers pulls me out uh, a little bit. And, and I know Lamb is kind of freaky. I don't know if it's a, in the horror category, though. I haven't seen that yet. But all the <laughs> kind of teases of it is kind of like it could get real wacky. Um, so I kind of want to do that. Like that would be a great double feature of watching lamb and antlers in the same one. I know <laughs> it sounds bizarre, but it sounds like a lot of fun too. Uh, cause it's these weird high concept things, uh, you know, where you're blending certain elements that just sound like a lot of fun. So, you know, uh, a lot to chew on. Uh, but yeah, we're kind of like right in that middle in grade for, for Netflix this year. I was hoping for, some real high points, um, especially, I, I think, again, I think just as a full recap, I think that there's someone inside your house was the most disappointing of all agree. of this. Totally and I agree. think once that failed, it was like, ah, shit. Like, something will have to come out of nowhere to, to like, bring this up or make it seem like his house did last year where I didn't know. All I knew is that it went to Sundance and that people were kind of high on it. Okay, you know that right. that's all I had to work with. But man, they killed it. That movie's excellent. So unless I, I was waiting to see a fever dream, might have been that thing, and when it wasn't, ooh, <laughs> so right. But good to see you. Otherwise, sir, thank you for taking the ride with me on this one, and happy Halloween to you, sir. Because I'm not going to talk to you in between. Uh, do you have any big plans for the night? Big plans. For- for the for Halloween, nope. I actually I'm going trick or treat with my kids. I let my son pick out my costume. I'm some kind of emperor of evil, so I don't know what that is. <laughs> emperor uh, of evil. Yeah, it's a generic costume. So I'm gonna go. I have some fun. I'm gonna watch the first Halloween movie, which I always do on Halloween weekend. So I'll watch that yep. and uh, go trick or treating. That's all I got planned. Hey, good on you, man. Try to and I, I'm I'm right there with you. It's a lot of the same traditions that I do, and then also try to squeeze in a great pumpkin or viewing or two or something. You know, little Charlie Brown action or whatever. So that's always fun. That's I always bring back the classics. I've already revisited 
uh, a few of the the classic classics like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm yep. Street or those type of things. I've already done that. A lot of people do it all month long. I try to do the same. And, you know, so Halloween is just kind of like, all right, what's out or what can I piece together and watch? Usually Halloween. So I think we're right on the same wavelength. So that's cool, man. I need pictures of what. <laughs> oh, I'll <laughs> show Emperor you pictures of what Emperor of Evil is going to be. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> We'll have to put that on Instagram as soon as we get that through. So awesome, man. I appreciate it. Have a great time with your family, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, too, sir. You're, thank you again. <laughs>